And thank you, Darlene. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, if you will please. Luke chapter 10 tonight. Luke chapter 10. Be reading verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which, was, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care? My sister hath left me to serve alone. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Title of the message tonight, Fasting for God's Priorities. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, help us to be willing to examine our own hearts in light of your word. I pray that you'd bless this message. Use it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Fasting is a good thing. We need to fast. If you're saved tonight, it's part of your Christian life, part of your Christian walk. As we've said before, Jesus said, when ye pray, he didn't say if ye pray, he said when ye pray, and he gave instructions concerning prayer. And he also said when ye fast. He didn't say if ye fast, if you should choose to fast. Here's some ideas about it. He said when ye fast. And so we find in our life from time to time, there are, there are times we need to fast. There are seasons of fasting, uh, going through uh, major decisions in your life. I think you ought to bathe it in prayer, and I think you ought to fast. You ought to fast and pray. I wouldn't uh, encourage you to make a major decision in your life without fasting and praying. And sometimes you need to fast as an individual, maybe as a couple, a family, whatever it might be. Sometimes we need to fast as a church. I fast for various things. I think with the missions conference coming up, we want God to work. Uh, we have Law Enforcement Appreciation Day coming up. We want God to work. We want God to work in the hearts of the law enforcement community, uh, our civic officials. And so uh, we need God. We can do all the planning and all the preparations that if God doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. We need God, and we need to know that we need God. We need to acknowledge that, and fasting is one way of just saying, Lord, we we want you more than we want food right now. We want you to work. We need you to work in our lives. And so uh, there are a lot of ways to fast. There are a lot of reasons to fast. And so uh, this kind of a little bit disjointed series with everything going on, all the other special meetings and being gone and such, but we've talked about fasting for God's presence and talked about fasting for God's purpose and fasting for God's power. And tonight I want us to consider fasting for God's priorities. Uh, This is a fast that we could do very often and still have reason to do it yet again uh, soon. Be reason wise because there are an awful lot of things that are pulling at us, a lot of things that are uh, trying to get our priorities out of line. You're going to find out soon, if you haven't already, if you're new to uh, the Christian faith and new as a Christian, but it's a battle to keep your priorities right. It's a battle. And you'll never completely arrive where you say, well, I've got those things all squared away and haven't even had to deal with that for years. Uh, if that's true, you're probably just asleep. Uh, you're going to you're gonna have to fight those things because it's so easy for our priorities uh, to get out of whack, to get out of line. We live in a world that is constantly encouraging us uh, in a thousand different ways to have the wrong priorities, constantly pulling at us. And sometimes the appeal is drastic. Uh, sometimes it's extreme, sometimes it's overt, and, and we might ins- instinctively reject that because we can tell right away, no, that's, that's wrong. Uh, but sometimes the appeal is so subtle, 
and so smooth and so uh, harmless looking that we might embrace it without even realizing what's going on. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Love not the world. Yet we're surrounded by the world. And then there are some nice things in the world. There's a beautiful world. Uh, the Lord made everything beautiful in His time. And there are a lot of appealing things. Some that are in and of themselves okay, and some that are in and of themselves wrong. It's love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And yet we find we have to live in this world. We have to work in this world. We have to interact with it. And yet at the same time, keep it from wrongly influencing us. And so that, that can be a great challenge, an ongoing challenge. They that use this world as not abusing it for the, uh, for the fashion of this world passeth away. And so uh, we have to uh, constantly be, be on guard in those areas. What's important to us uh, dictates the direction of our lives. Therefore, what's important to us uh, is important. We need to pay attention to that. We, it's important we think about what's important to us. There are things that are important to God, and then there are things that are important to us, and sometimes they're nowhere near uh, being similar. Uh, oftentimes there's a great difference between the two. And yet if, if we're saved tonight, we call ourselves Christians, uh, followers of Christ. Uh, we understand that we're to be Conform to his image. We are to become more and more like Christ. 1 John 2 6, he that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, then he says, you need to walk as Christ walked. Uh, Romans 8 29, or John 8 29, excuse me, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. I do always those things that please Him, always those things that please God. How, how true is that in our lives? Uh, how often is that even on our radar screen? How, how concerned are we with that, that does this please God? Am I pleasing God? Does my attitude right now please God? Does my thought life please God? The way I'm treating other people, uh, the way I'm spending my time, I do these things please God. How, how conscious are we of that? Uh, are we living our life cognizant of the need to please God? John 4, 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Then answered Jesus, said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father which has sent me. And here... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is saying, I, I'm, I'm not worried about my will here. I'm worried about the Father's will and always doing His will. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. John 9, I must work the works of Him that sent me. 
He would say in John 10 to the Jews gathered around, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So uh, it's easy to see from these and other passages that we could look at tonight that doing God's will, doing his Father's will was of extreme utmost importance to the Lord Jesus Christ. How much is it to us? How important is it that we do God's will? We're surrounded by things all the time that we, that we might find appealing. We want to do that. We want to get involved in that. We things that we think will bring us pleasure or will benefit us in some way. How concerned are we really that we're doing God's will, that we're pleasing God, that we're doing what He wants, that we're stewarding well, that we're utilizing the time, the opportunities that are ours to please Him? To live a life that is uh, in submission to His will. Uh, we claim to, to serve the Lord. Uh, we'd say, well, I'm just trying to live for God. Just trying to do the best I can. Jesus said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. And so if we're going to follow Him, we need to walk as He walked, live as He lived. Uh, that means it must be very important to us to learn what's important to God. That needs to be a priority in our life, that we would learn what's important to God. If you were to write down on a list what's really important to you, what would be on your list? Now, not what you say is important to you, but what is really important to you. What would be on your list? We all know how to say pious answers. If you had to write down a list and turn it in, <laughs> so what's important to me? To know God better. That's important to me, to know God better. Um, uh, to serve Him, that's important to me. And uh, my family, that's important. And we write down all these answers that we think are the correct answers. These are important things. And, and those are wonderful answers, but according to how we invest our time, are those things really that important to us? You know, we can write the correct things down. But we say, man, it's really important to me that I would know God better. Well, how much time are we investing in that? How, how much focus is there in our lives on that? Say, so, well, I, well, I really want to know God better. Well, there's ways we can know God better. Are, are we doing that? If we would say that that's important to us, the truth of the matter is, uh, if, it were, if our list was in accordance with how we spent our time, we might have to say, oh, watching television is really important to me. Yeah. Surfing the internet and being on computer, that's really important to me. Uh, but we wouldn't want to write those things down. We'd be embarrassed by that, that we would think that make that a priority in our life. That's really important. But if that's how we invest our time, uh, especially our, our free time, then, then that is what's important to us. That's what's a priority in our lives. And those things are constantly pulling at us. They're constantly exerting influence in our lives. Most of us uh, wouldn't, wouldn't want some of the things on our list that would actually more accurately reflect our lives and reflect our priorities. If we were to take that list and put it up on the bathroom mirror, the list that we would want others to see, 
and maybe be reminded of it on a regular basis that, hey, these are the things I ought to be seeking after. These are the things I ought to be uh, looking to do. These are the things that ought to be important. But chances are how we spend our time and how God would have us spend our time, that those lists would be uh, pretty dissimilar. And so sometimes fasting is just a way of reordering our priorities, just saying, you know, I, I, I want to hear from God. I want God to really direct my steps. The Bible talks about God directing my steps. I want God to direct my steps. I want Him to lead in my life. I want to go in the way that He wants me to go. And so it's a time, whether it's a day or two days or three days or however long, where we just say, you know, I'm, I'm just even going to go without food. I'm going to go without eating. And, and yes, I'll be hungry. And yes, I'll want to eat. But I want to, I want to put those things aside. I really want to know God better. I really want to know the heart of God. I want to be closer to the will of God. I want to be uh, closer to the mind of God, walking in the direction that He wants me to go. Uh, my life is too much about my priorities. I want it to be more about God's priorities. I want what's important to Him to become important to me. Uh, and so we go without food for a period of time, acknowledging that uh, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you give yourself over to an increased study of His Word. You give yourself over to just sitting in the presence of God and, and, and having a heart that's still, that's calm, that's quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. That's increasingly difficult in our noisy world to just be still and to just take that time uh, we, we, we have a lot on our list, a lot of things that we, we've got to do this and do this and go here and get that done. And, oh, yeah, that's due today, and I've got to take care of that. And we can run hither and y- to, or yon and, and not really spend much time in the presence of God. And, and if we're not careful, our devotions can just be perfunctory. That we're, just, we're, we're doing them because we're supposed to. We don't want to feel guilty. My good Christians read their Bibles, don't they? And so I want to be a good Christian. I, I'm going to read my Bible um, where's a short psalm I can knock out here so I can feel good? Um, and, and our prayer might be just more asking God for things. And so I, had, I prayed this morning, but we just hit God up with a list of about 20 things that we're hoping He'll do for us today. And there's no real fellowship. There's no, there's no meditating on the things of God. There's no desire, no passion to really know God better, to draw closer to Him, to really have our priorities rearranged and reordered so that they are more in line with God's priorities. And so fasting is just kind of a slowing things down and taking that time where we would normally spend in eating. Is I'm going to take that time and I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to spend more time just, just meditating on the Word of God, not being in a rush to get through it. If we're not careful, devotions is just one more thing on our to-do list today. We've got to check it off. We've got to do that, and then, then we can move on to the things that we need to get done. And uh, you lose your passion. You lose your heart. You can go through all the motions and, and be like the church at Ephesus in Revelation. We've lost our first love. Doctrinally, we're, we're orthodox, we're correct, we're, we're doing the right things. We, we know what's right. And, and theologically, man, we're, we're right down the line. But the heart isn't there, the passion isn't there. So we, we need to be careful with those things. And you want to get to the place where you can say with Job, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man, it's more important to hear from God. It's more important to know the mind of God uh, than, than eating and the constant danger we face is that we'll esteem a lot of things more important than what really should be important. 
Richard Wormbrand, you might remember that name, started the Voice of the Martyrs. He and, and his wife were Romanian Jews uh, who were saved in 1938. He became a pastor, and he, and he preached uh, in bomb shelters, and, and he reached rescued uh, Jewish children from the ghettos during World War II, did many heroic things. He and his wife were repeatedly arrested, uh, repeatedly beaten by the Nazis and, uh, who, who had, were occupying Romania at that time. And at the end of the war, uh, Romanian uh, communists came into power and, Ro- and Roman uh, soldiers, Romanian soldiers filled the country. And these Romanian communists begin to ascend to greater and greater power. Uh, he also preached faithfully to them, to these, this fledgling communist party that was becoming stronger. Uh, in 1945, he attended a congress that was uh, organized by the Romanian communist government. And as he sat in that hall that day, and he listened to religious leader after religious leader, some of his contemporaries, some of the other pastors and leaders that he had known, as he listened to them get up and praise communism and swear their loyalty to the Romanian Communist Party and, and pledge the followers of their churches would, would fall in line. And he sat there, his heart grieved. And finally, Richard Warmbrand got out of his seat and made his way to the front and stood in that podium and addressed that vast assembly And he exhorted his colleagues that their duty, what they were called to do, was to glorify God and Him alone. It was a stunning pronouncement coming on the heels of all of these others that had gotten up to swear their loyalty to communism when God wasn't even mentioned by these clergy. He and his wife Sabina were arrested around 1950. They spent several years in prison. Their nine-year-old son was left, in essence, kind of an orphan for years, uh, homeless. Some Christian friends took him in, uh, really risked their own freedom to care for him. Richard Wormbrand wrote regarding his imprisonment, he wrote this. He said it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. So while he and his wife were imprisoned, it it was strictly forbidden to preach to them. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. He said several of us that were in the prison with him, several of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Think of those priorities. Say, we'll take that. We, we want to preach that strongly. We'll take your deal. Priorities. And if we're not willing to preach Christ even without a beating, we certainly wouldn't be willing to preach Him at the cost of a beating. And so sometimes our, our priorities can just get so out of line that when you, when you read something like that, you hear something like that, you think, wow, that just seems crazy. Luke 10, 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Martha, there's a lot of things that get you upset. You're, you're, you're stressed out about a lot of stuff. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, 
which shall not be taken away from her. Mary was concerned about sitting at Jesus' feet and, and just, just learning, growing, listening to what he had to say as she was concerned about that. The Bible talks about true riches. We can so easily get caught up in, in false riches. It's as natural as any tendency we have to get caught up in things that really aren't that valuable, so much so that the right priorities seem extreme. They seem unrealistic. Let me illustrate with the following verses. Proverbs 3, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? We would probably be willing to spend a great amount of time and effort and energy to get a large gold nugget or some gold coins. How much effort and energy do we put forth to memorize God's Word? How much effort do we put into finding wisdom, learning God's Word so that it's a constant reality in our lives, so that it goes with us wherever we go because that's what's saturating our thought life. The Bible says to get wisdom is is better than, than whatever you might desire tonight. All the things thou canst desire aren't to be compared to it. Is God right? Is he right when he says wisdom is that important, that valuable, that, it, that it's more valuable, not only the silver and gold and rubies, but whatever you might desire tonight? Do we believe that? Do we really? We might believe it doctrinally, theologically, academically, but do we, leave, do we believe it practically in our lives? Does our investment of time show that we believe it? Do our pursuits and our passions show that we believe it? Are these just concepts? Ah, That's a nice concept, but uh, I don't know. The truth is we can show an awful lot of zeal in pursuing after the silver and gold of this world. How much zeal do we show in pursuing after spiritual things? And yet the Bible says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Again, Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, the man that getteth understanding. And yet we pursue after happiness in so many other ways, thinking that we'll find happiness there. But happy is the man that findeth wisdom. God says, you want to be happy? Then pursue after wisdom. May may God's principles and priorities become our principles and priorities. May God's value system be our value system. We seek after all the wrong things because we're used to trying to satisfy those physical desires and and fasting kind of says, stop, stop. We're not going to let our God be our belly or our belly be our God, rather. We're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let our appetites control and dictate how we live our lives. We want to change all of that. Uh, We want to change those physical desires and appetites and and put the priority on, on spiritual desires and spiritual appetites. Fasting says, I'm not going to give in to all of my physical appetites. What we hunger for the most, we end up worshiping. We end up craving. Fasting is a denial of our physical desires in order to pursue 
a spiritual hunger. Fasting is an attempt to change our physical desires, to arrest them and, and, and to nurture a, a spiritual hunger. Fasting is, is an attempt to master our physical desires so that they don't master us. When God and His ways are the supreme hunger of our hearts, then, then He will be Lord of our lives. Jesus would say to His own followers, His own disciples, why, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord? Lord means master, but, I, but I'm not the master of your life. But I think if Jesus were here bodily tonight in physical presence and talking to us, He might say the same thing to us. When we pray, we say, Lord, and when we address him, he says, well, why, would, why do you even say that? Am I Lord in your life? And it's been said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Is he Lord of all in our lives? Is he truly Lord? Fasting helps kill the weeds that so easily spring up in our hearts. Mark 4, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Fasting is giving up some things in our lives that mean something to us in order to have other things start meaning something to us that are more important. In 2 Samuel 24, Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arana said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. You remember David numbered the people, and God sent a plague upon the land, upon, upon Jerusalem. And, and, and David then repented as he realized his sin. And God had given him options of, of what to choose, and he chose, and then he, he kind of in a way regretted that as he saw the, the destruction. And, and so when he comes to a place of true repentance, and now he's, he wants to build an altar, he wants to offer a sacrifice. And so he goes to see Arana, and he's going he's to uh, ask him for uh, the threshing floor so he can build this altar. Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take, and offer up what seemeth good unto him. And behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. And the, all these things did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And, and so it would seem like, well, this is a, this is a good thing. He's already ready. I'm just going to give all this to you. You want to offer a sacrifice, and you want to build this altar. And, and here it all is. Just, just take it and use it. And and the king said unto Arana, Nay, no, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. He said, I, I, I want it, it's, it needs to cost me something. When we stay away from the cost, when we avoid any self-denial, when we flee from any hint of sacrifice, you know what ultimately we end up with? Dead, orthodox, lifeless religion. That's what we have. And we, and we go through the motions. And we wonder why it's dead. Of necessity, it, it has to be dead because it, there's no investment there. It didn't cost us anything. 
and how many people live their lives, how many Christians live their lives in a dead orthodox fashion, never making any sacrifices, never taking any risk, never stepping outside their comfort zone, never denying themselves anything. And then they wonder why their Christianity is bland, tasteless, lifeless. And yet they're afraid of any challenge, afraid of any risk. And so fasting is a way of saying, Lord, I, I want there to be more to my Christian life than, than is there. Uh, it's a willingness to give up something that we might find pleasure in in order that we would refocus our priorities. It's a willingness to, uh, to seek contentment in, in Christ rather than in food, rather than in the pleasures of this life. It's not even that big a thing we're giving up, really, but, but it's a start. Matthew records the story of a woman who, who willingly made a larger sacrifice. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, a very expensive ointment, if you will, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? They recognized the, the great value of this. This was an expensive ointment, an expensive perfume, and, and now it's just been poured out. And so the disciples are, are angry about that. Man, that, that's a waste. For this ointment might have been sold for much and, and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. What she's done is good. They're saying, man, this is a waste. We, we, we're to gather up the 12 back, uh, baskets of fragments that remains, that there nothing be lost. She just poured out a year's wages on the floor here, on you and on the floor. He says, yeah, the poor are always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Jesus didn't think the sacrifice a waste. He, he found it very commendable. He, he wanted it remembered. It so moved his heart. He said, wherever you take the gospel message, uh, make sure that you, that you mention this woman. Make sure that you mention her sacrifice. Those are priorities that would be contrary to our sensibilities Certainly to mine as a Scottish man, I said, wow, that, I would, I'd be in line saying that too. Oh, that's a waste. But Jesus said, no, it's not. It's not. Nothing given to God is ever a waste. It's not a waste. And yet how often we're wired that way because our priorities are messed up. And sometimes parents think, oh, my, my son, he's got such a brilliant mind. I don't want him going into the ministry. Really, what should he spend his mind on? Oh, my daughter, she's got so many talents, and it doesn't seem to make sense she'd be a missionary. We, we, we want to give God the leftovers and the lesser thans. And why? Because our priorities are messed up. Our priorities are messed up. And we tell Richard Warmbrow, wait, wait till you get out of prison, and wait, wait till you're maybe some other chance, you'll have a better chance to preach. No, no, we're, we're happy getting beat because we get to preach. That is our priority. The sacrifice wasn't lost on the Lord. It wasn't a waste. It wasn't in vain. Nor is it in vain, nor is it a waste if you say, you know, tomorrow or Tuesday or whenever, I'm going to go without food and I'm going to spend more time in prayer seeking God. I'm going to spend more time in 
the Word of God, trying to reorder my life's priorities because I, I've, I've cluttered my life with a lot of things. You know, sometimes in, in your house or where you live, you just have to go through and you have to do some spring cleaning. Things can kind of just accumulate. You go in the closet or you go out in the garage and things reproduce in the garage when you're not out there and they just, things beget other things. And you think, what have you guys been doing out here? There's too much stuff. And so what do you have to do? You have to just go through and you just have to clear out the rubble. Just, just clear it out. And sometimes we've got to do the same thing spiritually in our lives. So, you know, I, I've just allowed a lot of things in my life. And, and some things, sometimes it's not even necessarily things that in and of themselves are bad things. But they're just clogging up our lives. And they're distractions. And they're, and they're things that pull us away from the things of God. And we've filled our time with lesser things. And we filled our day and filled our schedule so that we don't have time to go on visitation. We don't even have time to go and give that guy a track across the street. We don't have time to talk to that person. And we're just busy, busy, busy with this and this and this. And yet we forget the very purpose for which we're here. And we're no longer salt and we're no longer light and we're no longer uh, effective in our Christian lives because we're just filled up with a lot of things that really in light of eternity we're not going to be excited we filled our lives up with. And so fasting sometimes just says, you know what, I, I need to get back going in the direction that I think God would have me go and doing what God wants me to do. And when God's priorities, whatever is important to God becomes important to us, and when that becomes our greatest desire, and that becomes what we're seeking after, and that becomes what we truly want. Listen to this promise that Jesus gave in, in Matthew 6. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Because our priorities have changed. We're doing that which pleases Him. You remember that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Do we diligently seek Him? How diligently do we seek Him? He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That, that pleases God. God is honored when we diligently seek Him. We diligently seek other things. A lot of Christians diligently seek a promotion at work, money, fame, whatever it might be. They diligently seek things. And yet with with seeking after God, it's more of a passive. It's just, you know, yeah, 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 I go to church. But God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And so fasting sometimes changes where we're not in pursuing after all the things of this life. So I want to pursue after God. And you shall seek Him and find Him when you shall seek, search for Him with all your heart, the Bible says. Fasting helps make that pursuit more diligent, more zealous, more all-consuming. We live in a world that constantly tries to pull us in its direction. Fasting helps us resist that pull, if you will. Fasting says, God, help me to want what you want for me. Help your desires to become my desires. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He should give thee the desires of thine heart. Why? Because your desires become his desires. Fasting helps us change all that around so that the things that should be important 
become important again. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Help us not just be hearers. Lord, help us be doers. Lord, may the passion, desires, interests of our heart more reflect your passions and your desires. Lord, may we seek to know you better. May we put out of our lives anything that keeps us from knowing you. Bless now this invitation time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed.